there, fictional friends, and welcome to another episode of Fully Booked. I'm Megan. And I'm Shireen. And this week we are continuing with our theme of the month of January, which is dystopian fiction. And dun, dun, dun. Oh, yeah. Um... <laughs> Even if you're not 100% sure what it is, I'm sure you've read something about it because it is big and it is super popular. I think there's always some kind of dystopian something, something that comes out every year that's on like bestseller lists. I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I think it's just one of those genres that like really speaks to all of us, even though we wish we it, it didn't. didn't. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I think so. So today we're just going to probably talk about and touch upon some of the points of like, why is dystopian po- fiction so popular? Why do people seem to love it so much? Why is there always a new book coming out, a new adaptation being made that's coming out in theaters that we like didn't realize existed, mm. you know? Like, why is that always happening? Um, but before we do that, Shereen, do you have anything on your nightstand right now? Not right now. Okay. <laughs> I am in winter hibernation mode. Yeah, I know. I find there are like these lulls and the holiday period's always terrible that way because like even if you were reading something, you've dropped off of it because you're busy. Yep. And then the year starts up and you're kind of tired and you're getting back into the groove of things. So it can be hard hard to like pick up a book yeah Yeah. or to like pick up a book and like have enough time to start reading it enough to become fully invested or interested in continuing yeah absolutely you know so you go through lulls of of time Mm. I don't know it's true. It's a tricky time. What about you, though? I find. Anything on your nights? Um, yeah, I actually recently started um, a true crime novel uh, that I haven't gotten around to yet. Slightly, like, I guess, less well-known one anywhere about a less well-known case. It's called The Lazarus Files mm. uh, by Ma- Matthew McGow. McGow. I feel like um, I've heard of this. Maybe. Yeah. Um, uh, which is basically about the case um, against Stephanie Lazarus, um, who back in 1986, a young woman uh, named Sherry Rasmussen was murdered. I think she was about 26. She'd only been married to her husband, John, for like a few months. Mm. She was murdered. Uh, there was an investigation sort of done, uh, mm. and the case went cold when if there had been any proper investigation that had been conducted, evidence would have pointed towards a woman named uh, named um, Stephanie Lazarus, who had previously dated Sherry's husband, was mm. a little bit obsessed with him. But of course, there was no full investigation conducted because Stephanie Lazarus was a police officer. Oh, wow. And this case... <clears throat> God, sorry. <clears throat> this case was dormant um, and was not... I guess, properly reopened and solved because, of course, it was treated as a home invasion, but there was a lot of evidence to suggest that it was much more personal than a Mm. home invasion. There was a a bite mark left on her. Like, nobody, people who are robbing you and accidentally shoot you don't. They don't bite you. That's a really weird personal thing to Mm -hmm. do anyhow until um, in the 2000s when the case was sort of re-examined by a new team of people who came to realize that this is what was that the evidence did point towards um, Stephanie Lazarus, who was finally only arrested in 2009. Oh, wow. After having been spent years of being a decorated officer. Um, I wonder how many of those are out there. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. I, I forget what the statistics are that mm-hmm. technically, I'm not talking about like serial killers, but there are statistics that exist of like how many in your lifetime, how many murderers you walk past. Mm. Oh. And it's weird. Really? Oh, yeah. You know 
know I think about that sometimes where it's like I wonder how many people out there are like murderers yeah you could be serving of course you could be you know like working in a store and you're serving someone and you don't know what this person's done how would you these people are perfect strangers to you you have no idea you just meet them for a moment in time it's a it's a thought that I don't think you should think of very often lest you get very depressed with the state of the world but anyway (laughs) anyway we're gonna talk about some stories that kind of do depress you about the state of the Mm -hmm. world though because let's uh supposed to yeah i think they are supposed to so let's um let's talk about some warning signs and talk about dystopian fiction yes (laughs) so sure why do you why do you think that people are like quote-unquote obsessed with dystopian novels and why do they consistently why are they consistently published why do people keep coming up with stories about them like what is it that you think draws people in well, I think that, like, you know, dystopian fiction is not new. It's existed for a long time. Yes. Like, I would say, you know, early 1900s is probably, when there was yeah. probably, like, a first boom. And I think you could probably look at, like, trends of when it becomes popular and then unpopular again. And I believe that it it's it kind of goes with, like, technological advancements for the most part. Mm, but mm-hmm. it also goes with, you know, when there's, like, a like a communal concern that exists. So even if you want to look at like climate change and stuff like that, that brings feelings of impending doom. And, you know, I wonder if part of it is because when we read a piece of dystopian fiction, like for example, um, you know, I go back to the classic 1984, which was written in 1948. Probably one of the most well-known dystopian novels in existence, I would say. Absolutely. Uh, George Orwell, who's who was British, wrote that mm-hmm. uh, just after the Second World War because um, of this lingering feeling of impending doom, of what we as humans could do to each other if left unchecked, yeah. basically. Um, and, you know, that was that at the time was very like wow this is out of the box like <laughs> big brother watching you video yeah quite cameras. revolutionary the idea of something like that but and now fast forward now and, the uk is one of the most cctv monitored countries in the world exactly and so you know oftentimes they speak to early emerging concerns that could eventually become reality. Yeah. You know, The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. Yes. You know, you read that, you watch the the show, and you're like, wow, this is terrifying. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But then you stop and you look around and you go, uh, wait Hmm. a minute. Uh, They just overturned Roe versus Wade. Um, Yeah. You know, so it's like there are like these, these connotations that are very reminiscent of what's going on and they're, you know, ahead of their time for the most part. But I think in the moment, they're supposed to make you feel better about like your current state yeah I was I've like you know like read some articles and stuff like that and there does seem to be a general consensus that one of the reasons that like this subgenre is so popular is because it makes people feel better about the world that they're currently in to Mm -hmm. at least to a certain extent um because you know you can't help but kind of read something you know like 1984 read something like the handmaid's tale or even like the hunger games Mm -hmm. um and be like well we're not doing too badly (laughs) yeah like that would never happen right (laughs) uh yeah well i mean i do think there's i do think there's an element of people like to experience the fear of like we could be headed in that direction kind of and Mm -hmm. i do think that it's a subgenre that's used as partially like a warning Mm. because it's almost like dystopian fiction is a fictional a fictionalized extreme version of legitimate like a reaction to legitimate societal commentary that is occurring like 
in our world yeah. at different times whenever these particular works are published. Yeah, like I think that, you know, there's a lot of, right now I think there's a lot of emerging dystopian fiction about like advancements in AI. Yes, yeah. You know, um, a lot a lot of dystopian fiction kind of crosses the the threshold of like, is it sci-fi? Is it dystopian? Yeah, they do um, kind of go hand in hand, like you've said as well, because obviously so much of it does have to do with technological advancements. Yeah. So exactly. Um, and so like these are, and you know, the other thing is that it also depends on where this author was from. I think that there's yeah. like a very heavy feeling. Like if you, if you read one work of dystopian fiction, there's a couple of elements like who's the audience that it's aimed at. Mm -hmm. If it's aimed at like young adult, it would probably end on like more of a hopeful, um, yeah. you know, ending. And I think it's because, you know, when you think about like young adult, when you think of that audience, they are potentially our future leaders. Yeah, our future, future generation. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when writing for an audience like that as well, you would like to assume that, like, the younger generation will do better. They exactly. will do a better job. They will not... It's more of a warning. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I do... I think that a lot of a lot of dystopian fiction is almost written, in a sense, as a warning, like, what could potentially happen down the road and is maybe almost, in some cases at least, um, a bit of a a sort of a rule book of like, hey, these are the things that you shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. Here's your red flag mm -hmm. right here. These are the things that you should avoid doing so that you don't wind up like this. Exactly. Um, and I also think that, you know, like I was saying, the author, where they're from, if you get an author who's from the UK versus an author who's from the States, mm -hmm. um, there's this very like overarching like tone to a lot of American literature that's like this like hopeful tone to it. Like, yes you know, we're, we're building a better future for tomorrow, you know? And so like, even when you get this dystopian like novel from the States, the author kind of tries to put like a hopeful twang at the end, if you will. Yeah. Um, whereas if you get some from like the UK, it tends to be very doom and gloom, you yeah. know? Yeah, no, it's true. It's much more, well, it's, it's, I think they've all taken sort of a page from 1984 and it's just very bleak. Oh yes. Very much where like, you're like, no, this is the way that things are. And we're just following the characters in this situation as opposed to following the characters, uh, breaking free of everything and yeah. starting a new world. Like that's not necessarily what happens in yeah. some of the more like, I guess, European stories like that. Mm -hmm. So Megan, here's a question for you. Mm -hmm. What do you think makes some dystopian fiction better than others Ooh, um i would mm, <laughs> it can be i think everybody has a different opinion about it yeah. but i guess i guess what i find is what i and in general i guess this is what makes sense right what i find is the most engaging the most interesting is the most realistic like so mm. if i can read a dystopian story get to the end of it and be like oh my goodness that could really actually legitimately happen mm. um i'm probably more likely to enjoy it and to remember it after I've read it than I am with, you know, a piece of fiction that's very, like, you know, like, oh, I'm on a different planet and yeah. this is going on and that's going on. Whereas if you give me, like, your Handmaid's Tale yeah. and your 1984 and, like, those sorts of stories, those are things that you know, are scarier because of how kind of, you know, close to reality they could be or how mm. realistic they potentially could be. But engage me more as a reader yeah. because I find them more relatable. Yeah, fair enough. For me, it's more um, the characters 
if I like the characters and I'm really rooting for if you're that reading character, rooting for the characters yeah then it makes it better for me um like for others you know sometimes you're reading these dystopian fiction novels and I'm trying to think you know which ones I've read recently um you know you mentioned the Hunger Games like I really hated the characters in the Hunger Games. Yeah, you like don't I like really most didn't of them. care for them. No. So I was like, you know, and like the Hunger Games, as an aside, annoyed me overall because um, I thought that the premise was so good, but that there just wasn't enough given in the writing. You know? No, that's true. Yeah. So we, you and I have talked about this, but um, when it came to the Hunger Games books, like you know, of course, I picked up the first book when it started exploding everywhere and it was like the next big thing after twilight basically Mm -hmm. um and i picked it up and i think i got like a third of the way into the first book and i never finished it and i never continued the series i didn't enjoy the writing style i didn't find that there was very much information that was provided and it felt weirdly because superficial it felt very juvenile in its execution despite the fact that that's it it was such like an such a detailed world that existed Mm -hmm. but i feel like it was almost like like they gave you the impression it was detailed, but then the author gives you no detail. Yeah, it was like, it? Oh, I don't know. And here we have Katniss. So we're just going to jump over here now. And here and are like, the Wait. districts. And this is and this is kind of what they are. And you're like, okay, but why? And you're like, but I want to know more. Like, tell me more about the background of it. No, no, we're not going into that. No, and I know you're meant to follow certain characters, but it's also like, okay, well, tell me more about the other districts that are like maybe slightly better off some of them and stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, they manufacture certain things and they do this and they do that. Why is that? Who are the people exactly. there how did their happened? lives function how did you select that district to do that yeah you know? that's it like you know how did you select who takes care of what like it would yeah. have just been yeah I guess there is I don't know I, I think I was extra disappointed again it's like the hype train that exists when something is so so popular yeah. um that it, oftentimes you wind up being disappointed yeah because of it which is it's unfortunate but it just is what it is I find absolutely Um, And then, you know, when you talk about dystopian fiction, it's a little bit like, you know, when you say fantasy or romance, like there's so many like subgenres of it, you know, like it's like you've got young adult, you've got romance, you've got, you know, sci-fi. You have a ton. Yeah, that's it. A ton. And so, um, you know, all these things together, it's, sorry, I've lost my train of thought. I'm just (laughs) sniffing at the microphone here. Um, yeah, all these subgenres, um, it creates like just this vast, like, you know, consideration of what is the genre? Like, is it, you know, who's it made for? Um, we meant, we mentioned this in one of our previous episodes, uh, when we're talking about chaos walking, Mm -hmm. dystopian fiction appears on the curriculum for schools, like a lot. All the time. Um, and you know, whether it be young adult, like I don't personally consider 1984 young adult. um, No, it's not. But it was definitely on my school curriculum. Yeah. Um, we read things like The Chrysalids, um, you know, different The books. Giver was the one giver that was, was on a, a big lot of one. lists, yeah. You know, so there was a lot, a lot. And I remember being in, like, in high school and, like, looking at the list and getting through maybe, like, a fourth dystopian novel and being like, good lord, are we are ever... Why are we reading so many yeah. of these? <laughs> You're like, these are real depressing. Are we ever going to read anything else? Yeah. Um, but I do also think, and this is, like, another point that I've sort of seen people talk about a little bit and that I do, I do agree with, is that I think that another reason that this fiction remains so popular is because it's... It's so, like, you know, it's so troublesome to read about, like, these types of new societies that Mm. have been formed in these stories, but it's so much easier 
to read about that conflict on paper than to experience it in real life. So if we, you know, take into the context of, yeah, no, okay, there's no full big brother society anywhere, but there are parts of the world in which there's a lot of pain and suffering on a regular basis. A lot of people... Censorship. Yeah, censorship that exists Mm -hmm. everywhere. People are not able to think for themselves, act the way that they would truly like to act, express themselves in any way, shape, or form, or be their true selves. And so I think that it's... I think that reading this fiction is an easy way for, for people to experience that, but not have to think about the fact that unfortunately not everyone is very, is as lucky, um, is lucky enough to, I guess, just be reading about it and not experiencing it themselves. Yeah. Like to an extent, it's almost like, you know, our, our obsession, you know, air quotes is like a construct of like our North American society, you know, yeah. like anybody who's born very here, much the Western who, side of the world. Yeah. Like the Western world where we haven't had to experience like on a day-to-day situation like that oppression censorship um you know we've been free for the most part again air quotes um so to read it it seems like it's a work of science fiction but it's important to remember that it is going that unfortunately there are you know like people write what they hear about they write what they know to an extent and so of course like these ideas do come from somewhere Mm -hmm. and they come from authors experiencing Mm -hmm. um or reading about or hearing about certain things that give them an idea for like wow can you imagine if the entire world were like this and what if I expanded upon that and made that into you know a much more fictional for the time being not incredibly possible way of being yeah but like it could down the road get that way another point that I read about um when I was doing some research for this that I found interesting was you know, when they release a new, whether it be a movie or a book or mm-hmm. a TV show, something that is quite captivating. Yeah. You know, think about like the newer Blade Runner movie that came out a few years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, it's actually a way for brands to capitalize on this like interest that audiences are showing. Okay. Um, and so then they use it for like their ad campaigns for the foreseeable future. And then it just kind of like, grows from there and Mm -hmm. it it creates new like emergences new products new okay like and so I found that really interesting because I'm like okay so it's also like a a back-end like research on back-end research marketing (laughs) study basically that's being done like oh these new books are being published and these new films are are coming out and you know how what's the general consensus about them do do audiences enjoy them do people like them do readers are readers picking these up are they you know bestsellers or are they just falling by the wayside okay those are falling by the wayside okay oh uh okay so vampires out now we're going with this (laughs) i was just gonna say that like vampires were the longest time and then werewolves and now I feel like we're back into like kind of more of a sci-fi. What we're also superheroes. There are some things that are getting back into like the vampire stuff. Like it it comes back around again, yeah. kind of. Like you know, like like look, AMC's launching its Anne Rice universe. That's the right. interview with the vampire TV series is out, and the Mayfair Witches is coming out in Jan this month. Yeah, yeah. We need to watch these. Oh, I started Interview with the Vampire, actually. I like it. Yeah? (laughs) I like it. The uh, chemistry between the actors is like chef's kiss. Oh, fantastic. Beautiful, beautiful. The set looks like gorgeous. The performances are good. It's interesting so far, so. 
See, this is why I prefer like fantasy. <laughs> oh <laughs> to, yeah. Like like personally, like do I like dystopian? Am I obs- again air quotes obsessed? No. No. Um, <laughs> could I, I could absolutely leave dystopian fiction because yeah, you know, while in some ways I'm not gonna lie, like I do think that it helps me be a little bit more like um, analytical of what's going on, like in the real world. Yes. Okay, I understand what you're yeah. saying. That does make sense. Um, and like kind of like remind me of what's going on yeah. and like be careful and like just kind of open your eyes to certain things that require more like social justice for example or like yes yeah. you know like more attention to make sure that we don't let it keep going down the wrong mm-hmm. track I do appreciate it from that standpoint yeah. because it does make you feel a little bit more educated when you come out of it in some cases but I wouldn't pick it up like you know, on, on the reg because it's just so heavy and just so like, yeah, I feel like we have the media for that now. Well, I mean, unfortunately you can see enough of that negativity on the news, can't you? Because, you know, no matter whether you're looking for it or not, things are, things go away. Um, things don't go away and there's always something kind of negative happening on the news. And that's what the news is kind of there for too, is to not just not mostly not talk about the positive at all, actually. No, all they do is turn everything into a negative oh boy do they ever yeah um yeah mainstream media is not always great that way no there's a lot of dystopian fiction about that too <laughs> yes also true yeah of course because the media would be um such a great brainwashing tool for people right in yeah. order to assimilate a society into like one way of thinking exactly and so that's why i go back to saying like it's it's important to read this type of literature mm-hmm. because it reminds you that like not everything is as it seems and like yeah. you've got to think critically about what's going on around you you yeah. know if the media is feeding you information like this is a big thing right like yeah misinformation false information false like, information you have out. to look at everything with like a like what else is going on yeah without getting into conspiracy theory territory also like don't get your news from facebook like you know those sorts of things don't do that um like find reputable news sources yeah like credit yeah that's like proper news sources and things like that who actually um have to fact check before publishing look for real journalism and not just tabloids exactly that's (laughs) it and don't think that that is the way to go um don't get your news from social media just don't do it Mm -mm. it's a bad idea bad idea um one thing that I did uh, come across as well that I kind of wanted to talk about because it's, it's not something I had really thought about before however I do think it's correct is that because dystopian fiction presents um so many conflicts and so many societal issues it creates um you know such an it can anyway again not always for everybody but it can create such an interesting reading experience for people Mm. to um like you said like think a little bit more critically about certain societal issues that it tends to be dystopian fiction tends to be much more popular than utopian Mm. fiction yeah and most of the utopian fiction that exists like your paradise type of thing ends up in a dystopia of course there's bits and pieces of it i think a really good example of that is probably like brave new world by aldous huxley that's your stereotypical example yeah that's like you know where we live in a utopian society quote unquote until one person starts to question like is this actually is this that actually? great yeah is that what is this really what we want and yeah. like you know so that but you always need you need that yin and yang you need that contrast that exists yeah. in it because if not you, you, who just wants to read a book about paradise you're just gonna be annoyed that you're not there right um <laughs> and I think that like they do 
they do a good job of introducing this like for younger ages too. Like if you think about the giver, like that's meant to be a utopia. Yes, also true. Um, yeah, Fahrenheit four five one. Fahrenheit four five one. Supposed to be a utopia as well. And so, like a lot of the time, these like utopias are actually dystopias because, mm-hmm. and like that's what they're kind of teaching you is when everything seems perfect, there might be more than meets the eye. Yeah, um, I think even. Even again, even the Hunger Games does do that a little bit because yeah. you have like your District One where everything is like Perfect. lovely and everybody's yeah. all rich and like wonderful and they don't have to work, they don't have to do anything, everybody's like happy all the time versus pretty much every other district that exists more or less, I would say. But again, we don't get enough detail about it. Anyway, uh, leading, you know, into that idea that like, oh yeah, we think we're in a utopia, but yeah. someone's suffering so that we can be happy and that we can have a good time. Someone is not living a great life. Right. Um, and so I think it's really important to like absorb that side of things as well is yeah. that it, where, wherever there's a dystopia, it equals a utopia for, for someone. someone. Yeah. Um, and again, very reminiscent of our own society. Like yeah. I said, you know, North America, we read about this and we're like, Ooh, that's like foreign. Oh, how crazy. Yeah. But then, you know, you think of every large corporation that exists, they've got their, you know, rich CEO sitting at the top, but then they're manufacturing out in a country where, you know, children are being forced into labor. Exactly. So I think, you know, again, going back to this notion that it helps you think a little bit more critically about Mm -hmm. what's going on. Maybe you think about your own situation and, you know, how do you get this situation? How do you get your own reality? Like, what are the other things happening Mm -hmm. in the background? Yeah, because you can see that a lot. I'm even thinking of things from like a movie perspective right now, but you can see some of that in certain movies that you don't think necessarily have like a bigger message, but sometimes they do. That movie with Sylvester Stallone, Demolition Man, they do that in that where it's like this lovely society of like everybody's all calm all the time and we don't use weapons and this and that, but you have like an entire underground society of people who are suffering, who don't get, who can't get food, Mm. who can't get anything. And basically the ones at the top are trying to like, get rid of them like rats like they treat them like they live in the sewer basically and they're like trying to kill them um and even certain I I don't know even oh right okay there's this movie (laughs) it's really funny from a couple of years ago it's called Slacks it is a film that was actually made in our area in Montreal and I think it was uh written and directed by a Montreal-based director um and it takes a stance about something like that from the fashion industry perspective um it's very much a uh, like a parody of um, and like a satire of uh, fast fashion and fashion in like these um, really popular stores like in the mall kind of thing mm-hmm. and it's like you know how it takes a look at it's like a launch of a new pair of jeans that's really popular in the store that's really popular and the staff's working overnight to head up to the launch mm-hmm. and you know you've got all the different levels of employee that work mm. there from the managers who are trying to keep everything going to the part-time employees who don't really give a shit. They're yeah. just there because they're there. But, you know, you have anybody who's ever worked in retail will love this movie because, like, you know, you've got, like, your managers who are trying to, like, hype people up, but everybody's <laughs> just irritated. Yeah. Um, and it's a horror film because the pants are possessed and they start killing Whoa. people. And it's the cutest thing you've ever seen because it's just, like, a pair of jeans is walking around <laughs> like it's on, like, a mannequin and it just, like, murders people. Um, but there and it was one of those stories that I was expecting to just be silly fun yeah and it was most of the time until 
the like reveal of it comes later. I don't want to give it away in case people want to watch it if they haven't seen it, but there's a much bigger um, actual message behind the film about uh, consumerism and child labor laws and what it means for the people who are at the bottom of the pile when it comes to fashion and retail. Mm. Um, So yeah, so it's weird because it can take, again, if a story takes place in a world that makes sense to me, I'm very likely to connect with it more. With the the message. Yeah. Yeah. So my final question for you, Megan, Mm -hmm. is... um, if someone is out there listening to this and they haven't really read any of the books that we're talking about sure. or any dystopian fiction, sure. what would be a good intro novel? Ooh, God. <laughs> I think The Giver would be a good yeah, intro because it's not too... the same thing. Is it short as <laughs> yeah. well? Like it's not... Because since it's like, it's like a middle grade kind of read, it's not very long. Mm. I wouldn't jump right into 1984 no. or The Handmaid's Tale because it's going to make you sad. It's hard. It's a hard read. Um, I think in high school, a lot of people had to read 1984. And yeah. like, I had read quite we a few We had to read a lot of George Orwell. We had to read 1984. We read Animal, Animal Farm. Farm as well, mm-hmm. which I get. No, not really. Eh, that one's more of a, a commentary on like It's, just, it's a political government. commentary, yeah. like government and policies and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think 1984 was really hard for a lot of people and they just gave up. Whereas yeah. The Giver is a lot more subtle. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's easy to digest. Um, not only in its content, but also just in its length and how concise it is about the message that it's putting out there. Yeah, and I think just that overarching like question your reality a little yeah. bit. And again, you know? like I haven't, I haven't read that many dystopian stories, so mm-hmm. I'm sure that there are probably like a good like several of them out there that are in that same vein mm-hmm. that you know you could have someone read if they're just getting started or if they're curious about this like as a subgenre as like dystopian fiction and they want to find something of interest to get started with mm-hmm. but I would say that's it like that style of story one story you know yeah. not a whole series yeah. you know a you want to yeah. a one and done kind of thing where you can get people involved in it without uh them feeling like they have to make like a four book commitment yeah <laughs> um that I think will help you feel like you can then, you know, tackle something a little bit more serious or a little bit more intense. Absolutely. Um, you know, baby steps on the dystopian utopian fiction. I think so. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think you should jump right into like one of the crazy ones. I think it's, maybe it's just for me because it's not like my number one kind of thing that I like to pick up. Um, I would say start with something small and then work your way up. With it being January, like, you know, take it easy. Like. Yeah. And I mean, like, whatever, guys. It's cold. Yeah. It's snowing in many parts of the world. Um, it's, you know, just feel, don't feel like you have to read an 800-page book if you don't want to. <laughs> no. No, I'm not. Yeah. And if it, if you do read a dystopian novel and you enjoy it, great. Awesome. Keep mm-hmm. doing what you're doing. Or if you already read a ton of them and you like them, that's also awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you ever start feeling like lot like you know sort of like bogged down by them and stuff it's okay to put something aside for a while it's okay to to do something else with your time binge watch a tv series yeah that's it it's okay and it's okay to pick up another book in its stead for a period of time Mm -hmm. you know don't feel like you can't do that absolutely yeah so yeah these are yeah dystopian fiction is both relatable and terrifying and i think that might be the biggest takeaway from this try not to let it happen yep that should be the big takeaway (laughs) i would love to hear from everyone 
listening what yeah. their favorite. Because I'm sure a lot of people love The Hunger Games and we're just shitting all over it. Sorry. <laughs> so. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, you can definitely let us know about it over on Instagram at FullyBookedCA. You can also check out our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash groups slash book was way better. And if you're still here with us, um, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you're listening to this episode because we really, really appreciate it. But until next week, guys, keep on reading. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.